New York-based Chinese blockbuster podcast. I'm Noah. I'm Andrew. I'm Reza. This week we're talking about the Monster Hunt series. This is going to be a little bit of a departure from our normal episode format since both of these movies are right next to each other on the list of China's top 10 highest grossing. We're just going to talk about both of them together in one episode. You don't have to see them. We'll give a synopsis, but if you want to watch them unspoiled, maybe listen to the show after. Later, we'll be talking with one of the earliest employees at DreamWorks, Guillaume Arretos, who was the production designer of Monster Hunt 2, art director of Shrek and Ants, which I wore out the tape on when I was a kid. But first, here's our conversation about the movies with Carl Ja. He is the host of the podcast Silk and Steel and one of my favorite tweeters. Follow him at Carl Ja to check out his travels to rising China. To start, here's the synopsis. The first monster hunt begins with a political uprising in the monster kingdom, forcing the pregnant queen to flee. She, followed by her security detail of two, are chased into a small village of humans under the leadership of Wo Lan, generally considered to be a failure of a mayor. The queen arrives in town at the same time as Song Tianyin, a low-level monster hunter. The three are forced together when the town is attacked, and after the queen transfers her pregnancy to Zhao Lan, don't ask, and dies, he and Tianyin must decide what to do after becoming the de facto parents of the new baby monster king, Wuba. On the quest to get rid of their new adorable burden, Shaolan learns that his village was a haven for refugee monsters in disguise and that the Monster Hunters Bureau has been taken over by monster political dissidents in disguise. In the end, Shaolan and Tianyun come to love their new monster baby and fight the leader of the challenging monsters. When the dust settles, they are left with no choice but to place Wuba in the care of other monsters to protect him from future attacks, and they part ways. In Monster Hunt 2, Wuba's hidden village is found by the challenging monsters, forcing him to go into hiding with a crew of gamblers. Shaolan and Tianyin search for him after learning what happened. When the family reunited, all is well, and we learn that yet another monster-hunting bureaucratic organization has been taken over by evil monsters. Great machine guns, strange buffets, and early child development galore. This is Monster Hunt. So, I guess yeah. to start off, we want to really just thank you for bearing with us with these <laughs> yeah, movies. Uh, I think we all felt a bit of a slog going through them, but I think there were some interesting themes that we could touch we're on. We're a little older than the intended audience, I think. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that because... We, we I'm thinking, what what is the intended audience here? Because, you know, like, they made the monsters super cute, but there are moments where I'm like, I'm not sure if this is for children, because... Yeah, but... You know, I think you you guys will know what scene uh, I'm talking about. There was a scene where first a female uh, monster uh, monster hunter was agreeing to stay the night, and mm -hmm. the protagonist he, he thought he was gonna get lucky, right? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and 
the scene that he was getting tied up in bed, so he thought it was really kinky <laughs> foreplay. I mean, it was comically funny, but I'm like, for a young audience, do they really get it so Well, I mean, it was amazing, right? In that, like, he did get lucky. He ended up pregnant at the end of the night. <laughs> right, right, right. But I, I, I was just really confused, like, who is the intended audience of this film? Because um, I, I was expecting it to be a lot younger based on the, you know, the, the way they made the monster super cute. And toward the end of the movie where, um, you know, they, they get into this, like, guild that capture all the monsters. And it turns out they're, like, just chopping them up and serving them as dishes. And I'm, and I thought, wow, that that's that could be kind of traumatizing for a little child. <laughs> See, all these like cute monsters getting hanging up on like meat hooks, you know, and like getting sliced into uh, sashimi. I mean, like, I, I don't know, I don't know how I feel if I'm like a six year old watching this. <laughs> I mean, even the first scene where it's like them running away from the the monsters that are like tracking down the queen. You have that like one that he like grabs him, mm-hmm. and you hear his neck snap in his hand. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and and the, even the part that the, the queen when she uh give up her baby, she just cut o- open her belly. I was like, like whoa, that that's kind of graphic for like little children's movie. It's like but, doom. Yeah, <laughs> actually, that did remind me of that. The thing with like uh, when Wuba gets locked up later on, there's like a minute long basically child screaming for a little while and uh, i don't know i guess the are kids reacting to that or is it adults being told not to eat monster meat yeah i just thought that would be so traumatizing for like these (laughs) little children to watch all these cute monsters being eaten i mean like Especially Uva was supposed to be served with like a you know like that um like 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 that scene from Indiana Jones Temple of Doom where they serve the monkey brain yeah you know what I'm talking about like, <laughs> yep. like they, had, they had the Uva just clamped down with his head exposed and, and they were supposed to like like cut his head head open and and eat his brain I was like oh my god you know I was like. <laughs> At that point, I was disappointed, though. I wanted to see them try it, because everything... He was resisting everything. He was invincible. I wanted to see. I wanted to see that beetle, like, just... How far can he get? ...trying to get inside of Seth. Uh, okay, so, before we got, go ahead here, I have a question for you guys. So, why did you guys choose to watch these two films? So, before, so let me just preface, I guess, what we're doing on the show. Uh, so, our show's called Uproar in the Studio, and what we decided to do, basically, is review the top 10 grossing films in China, which which is actually really fun because when we got this project together about five, six weeks ago, the list was very different to what it is today. So our, <laughs> our conception of this shifting. is just a list that constantly is changing because every new big movie seems to upend the old movie. So we're down to review monster hunts. We're down to review, you know, military parade films. We're down to <laughs> review urban love. I mean, this is everything, whatever's happening in China today, I guess. Oh, yeah. you're going to have have to watch some real duds though like yeah <laughs> have you guys seen the mermaid yes, yep. yes. I, haven't I mean seen like basically why well, i actually haven't watched the movie but from what i've heard <laughs> the people the reason mermaid you know scores so high in the box office is because everybody felt sorry for steve chow the producer yeah 
And and because uh, the the thing about Steve Chow is he was a Hong Kong actor and he appeared in many many Hong Kong comedies, right? But at that time, all these movies were not legally available in mainland. So everybody on the on the mainland market, they they would watch basically pirated copies or they watch it online. And Steve Chow hit like big time least to the mainland Chinese mainland audience when he made a movie I think in the late 1990s he made a remake of Journey to the West it's like a very wacky reinterpretation and those those movies somehow um, just coincided with when the internet finally got popularized in China and the the copies of that movie was floating around on the on the internet so all, all the college students saw it and they found it hilarious, and it became like a, a meme. You know, there were so many memes coming out of that movie. Like everybody would keep on referencing it, but everybody knew that all they watched was a pirated copy. So because there was a saying that we all owe Steve Chow a, a ticket. You know, we all. <laughs> so when Steve Chow finally came out with a big production like The Mermaid, and that's like, like legally showing in mainland so everybody said okay finally we're gonna pay our respect <laughs> a ticket so they all went to see it and to everybody's surprise it, it was not that great <laughs> but it is on the list and we've <laughs> seen it right yeah, yeah but it, it, yeah it gives us access to stories like these basically especially this context which i was not oh. aware of at least uh, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, Steve Chow has some great movies. He's made some great movies, don't get me wrong. So he made a remake, another remake of Journey to the West, uh, like a couple years ago. Uh, have you seen that one? No. I haven't seen it, but I knew it was doing pretty well over here, uh, all things considered, because I think it was one of the top movies for rentals on iTunes for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's he, he's 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 making banks right now. Um mm -hmm. But like the, uh, I mean, he, he he was famous here for uh, shoveling soccer and then yep. um, what's that? The Shanghai Hustle. Kung Fu, is it not Kung, Kung Fu? Hustle, Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah, yeah. Those are the classic. You know, everybody yeah. knows Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle. I mean, you know, to the point that you made into the pop culture reference over here. So he, he's pretty big. Uh, but he's what he really was became um, making a, making banks is when he's you know start producing those movies himself and because he for a long time he was an actor he was just making basically making money for other people and there was actually a rumor that because the Hong Kong uh, movie industry for a long time were controlled by mafia uh, and there was a rumor that Steve Chow owed the mafia a lot of money. <laughs> so, <laughs> Kind of force to make all these like low budget uh, comedy movies like, like Michael Jordan uh, forced out of retirement or something by <laughs> mafia. Yeah, he, he was forced to crank out all these low budget comedy movies year after year. I mean, like they were really super popular, but he wasn't making money for himself. Uh, <laughs> but now he's in the game for himself. He's producing and redirecting. And I'm I'm just looking up the Journey to the West movie that was super successful. Like just recently, this was a uh, oh um was it conquering the demons? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, 2013 movie, conquering the demons, journey to the west. Have you guys seen that one? 
No, no I don't think we've seen it. Yeah, we'll have to add that to the list, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that that's um that's one of the earlier blockbuster like back when like when finally the you know the Chinese box office was getting big. That was one of the early uh block. Well, first now, like you say, like the record gets all the year. Yeah. yeah, now it's gonna be um what Wondering Earth. Yeah, yeah, that's that's on. like competing with Wolf Warrior 2 right now. Yeah, it's actually playing yeah. in a bunch of movie theaters around here right now. Yeah, I'm pretty excited because that means they get like all these big Chinese blockbuster are getting simultaneous release in US almost like at the same time as China. Um with exceptions because one is cuz AMC is owned by Wanda, so Wanda would show most of the movies except movies made by its competitor the Huawei mm. brothers. So, you know, like, that's a reason why Chen Kai-ge made a movie, I think, last year called The Demon Cat that mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to see. And when it came out in China, I'm, I was like, what? It's not releasing U.S.? It was releasing Australia. What the heck? Why is it not releasing U.S.? <laughs> so I, I, I was so baffled. And I, I actually, my sister told me this because my sister keep up with all these entertainment gossip in China. He said, oh, yeah, 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 because, you know, Chen Kai-ge made that movie with the Huayi brothers, and Huayi brother is in a field with um, <laughs> with Wanda right now because apparently Huayi brother they um, they poach one of their top guys from Wanda, and you know Wanda was carrying a grudge. Wanda control a lot of the movie theater in China and now you know U.S. AMC, so they would not all the Wanda theaters would not show Huayi movies. That, that's why you know I I can't see uh, Demon Cat. Here. Like I think it's totally ridiculous. I mean, what's expected from Chinese entertainment industry? Yeah. It's like old school studio politics. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry for hijacking your thread. No. <laughs> this is all really, really interesting, honestly. <laughs> to to sort of bring us back to um uh, back to Monster Hunt though. Back to Monster Hunt, yeah. It it seems like a super pro vegan movie, but is that out of place in Chinese politics. Oh, oh dude, yeah, you got that too? Because I was, yeah, cause I was watching this, yeah, I was yeah. like, dude, are they trying to like tell us we should be all vegetarians? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's pretty strong. I mean, it's pretty, it's almost like vegetarian propaganda. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Honestly, I have no idea. I'll probably have to look into it. There might be a background story to it. I don't know. I just don't know. He was a radish. He was a woman radish. So I don't know if it's even telling us that we should eat vegetables. <laughs> just not eat. Oh, dude, you're right. You're right. He is a, literally a radish or, or look like one. But I guess fruits are okay because, you know, they, they have all this scene where he was being used like a machine gun after he digested some fruits, right? Like, I actually didn't get that. I was like, what, what was he speaking? Bidding like a seeds or something. Yeah, I, I think he just couldn't digest the stuff. So I, I think as we understand it, this movie comes at the end of this genre in Chinese film where it's got this nostalgia factor for old Chinese society, you know, something probably before the Cultural Revolution, mm-hmm. before the fall of the Qing Dynasty, maybe. Like I know so, Journey to the West is that kind of aesthetic too. Crouching Tiger. Yeah, Crouching Tiger. Yep. Uh, Red Sorghum. So, Carl, do you think there's a nostalgia for a time before maybe the West made its way to Chinese society as a theme? Um, I, 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 don't, I, I, know, I don't know if it's nostalgia, but the period piece definitely has been like um, 
mainstay of the Chinese cinema and also TV. Hong Kong cinema and Hong Kong TV, TV drama regularly produce all these period pieces, and we didn't get them in mainland China until I think well past eighties. Because you know during cult, Cultural Revolution, of course, all these are banned, right? Like literally, there were only eight approved modernized Peking opera slash ballet were uh, showing in China, and that's. Like only entertainment allowed, and and it's like stuff like uh, the detachment of the of the the the, the red women and uh, and and how to um what's the other one? The other one actually been made into a movie recently. Uh, it's called um, Taking of the Tiger Mountain by Strategy. Uh, <laughs> That's a title. That was, uh, a Hong Kong director, Choi Hark, actually made it into a blockbuster. Couple of years ago, so, there you go. You have another one on your list now. <laughs> it it also seems like I don't know with China getting a whole lot more industrial and urban with all of these cities being built. It also yeah. seems like a movie with a lot, a lot of green space. Well, Does... well, yeah, yeah. That there's a lot of green in that film. Green and vegetarian. I think that's what the, <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a propaganda for. And, <laughs> I, I actually, um, but but not to, just back to the period piece. I just remember, so in the 80s, when finally all these new entertainment uh, were allowed from to be flooded in from Hong Kong. And I just remember watching all these period dramas and everybody on the mainland's like, wow, they look so pretty, you know, dressing all the ancient costumes. And, uh, and, you know, like where the girls wearing all this traditional uh, what people that back then thought traditional uh, costumes and everything looks so nice and fancy. So, so that caught on pretty quickly on mainland and, and, and it has been a mainstay ever since. Uh, I mean, this, this came from like Hong Kong and Taiwan. And, and I don't know if necessarily, I mean, maybe there's part of that nostalgia as seen like the glory days when, you know, when China was prosperous and, and, and culturally self-confident and, and before all the, you know, westernization set in and stuff. And it's also kind of like the fantasy setting, right? It's like uh, mm. the ancient times, but it's also like kind of. Kind of like Game of Thrones, right? But without all the yeah. sex and the gore, and <laughs> <laughs> maybe just a little bit of the sex. Uh, now nowadays the sex is creeping in, yeah. But but I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about 1980s, man. Oh, was, okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Days. I was just telling. I was uh, I had a, was interviewed by Razib Khan on his uh, broadcast. He, I was telling him like back in early 80s. When I was in my first grade, I was telling our, our like classmates that, oh, like now it's a uh, you know reform and opening period. Things are really open up. Maybe when we grew up, we'd get even to like hold girls' hands in public and and maybe even kiss them in public. I mean that that was 1980. Okay, that was kind of that back then. Just even like PDA is unimaginable. Just <laughs> just like yeah yeah things have have changed a lot since then yeah one of the first movies we watched for this was uh the x-file 3 and it's just you totally see the shift away <laughs> from uh from that sort of like reservation for to an intense you yeah. know 30 yeah. kind of love story in urban china 
Yeah, and I think a lot of you know, like right now, the also the Chinese、uh, used to be called SARF. I don't know what they call called nowadays. The the national.、Um, Board of、uh, Bureau of、uh, Television and Film. They that the, basically the Chinese censor for for film and TV, TV dramas. They keep on coming up with these silly rules. Like uh, uh, one of the rule was、uh, you know you can't make any more ghost movies that take setting after 1949 because you know <laughs> after liberation there should be no ghosts. <laughs> right. I mean, like this is ridiculous, and and there was、uh, another rule that oh, because time travel was getting super popular,、uh, it start with people writing time travel web novels, which is kind of like escape fantasy, right? Like people imagining themselves going back in time, and they they know everything how things going to turn out, so they do super crazy things. But、uh, and and a lot of them are turning into TV dramas and movies, and. It got to the point where they got a new rule a couple of years, like no, 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 no more time travels, no more time travel period pieces.、Um, to to a certain extent, I think that's a reaction from like、um, like older generation, maybe because you know you have to understand a lot of these censors, who at least the people who control the Chinese propaganda department, it's staffed by some really old people with really kind of old set views. I mean, they they're Their 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 whole morality system is still like literally last century, right? I mean, I'm talking about like stuck in 1970s or 80s or something, and 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 it's not they have not kept up with like the new generation because because you know like the 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 post 90 post thousand 2000 generation they they're pretty pretty open they're pretty open to all kind of influences, and I think that kind of scares some of the Older folks <laughs> were in charge, unfortunately, in power. We were talking to someone、uh, a couple weeks ago who actually made some movies for the propaganda department, and he's like, "Oh yeah, all of the bosses have been there for forty years." Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. It's like it's not that sometimes you know the Chinese netizens even jokes like, "God, these." This Chinese propaganda department—they're so stupid, you know. They all, all produce all these like really idiotic, really silly,、um, totally you know out of sync with the、uh, step stuff that people—it's just like livestock. But what we realize later, it's not like that. That people there can't produce top quality stuff. It's just. There, they have to. They have superiors to answer to, right? And the, the, those superiors are really a lot older, and they're a、uh, lot more old-fashioned, let's say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, which is unfortunate.、Uh, but you know, hopefully, things will change when you know new generation move into power. I, I don't know. I mean, like things are already changing. Like, like I said. Things that's unimaginable in 1980s is already happening today,、uh, but but it's all with China. It's all, always like two step forward,、uh, one step back. You know, so we'll see. One thing that seems to have changed in here is the the gender roles in Monster Hunt too, <laughs> and Monster Hunt. Like it, they seem to be flipped, and I can't tell if it's a joke. Or if it's like a like a political statement. What did you think of that? Oh yeah. It's kind of a running meme in China. We call it yin and yang, so I literally,、um, where the yin and yang, right? We're talking、mm-hmm. 
talking about the yin is on the rise, the the yang is <laughs> is falling because uh, this start this mean started even back in 1980s when the Chinese girl women's volleyball team would go on to win like championship in the you know world uh, world championship or, or or like any international games, whereas the the guys team whether basketball or uh, that was before Yao Ming. So, so whether basketball or football, it, it, it they just suck. Okay, so the- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, they just suck. I mean, that's, they're like laughing. They have been like a laughing stock for like past I don't know 40 years, and they haven't improved much. Like in the beginning, they had some excuse because they say, well, okay, China is a poor country. You know, we, we're not like uh, you know the in Europe or. Uh, some countries where they spend a lot of money on the football team, right? And but nowadays, man, you know, that there's no more excuse because they're getting paid a lot. They just suck. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's this, you know, running theme where Tianyan is plays a more f- feminine role throughout the movie. But we do see this come up later, where Shaolin mentions being the last in her line, and there's pressure on her to keep her family going and. That seemed to come out a little bit out of nowhere. Maybe is that pleasing the superiors <laughs> aspect of the movie? No, no, because that literally that that actually kind of, you kind of also kind of flip a little bit because that's usually uh, something uh, a pressure is usually on male to reproduce mm. to continue the family line because it was very important to carry on the family name to the next generation, which means. To produce a male heir, right? To produce a son, and and in this case, because uh, I guess because they, as you noticed, they did a gender role flipping between the guy and the girl, and so the girl is saying, "Oh, I have to. I'm under pressure to uh, continue my family line, right?" So she's kind of taking over like a role normally, like a for a guy, right? But, but yeah, definitely the, the the gender switching was a theme in that movie, along with vegetarian. In this <laughs> <laughs> the gender switching it seemed a little toned down uh, by the time we got to the second one, though. Well, yeah. except for that gynecologist scene except at the start. Except for that gynecologist scene, which was strange. There was a gynecologist scene in this. Oh, I haven't got there yet, probably. I know. Uh, I think it was right at the start. Yeah, yeah they're I'm like lying. reading his hands, and they're like, "Oh yes, 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 yes." <laughs> yes. He has uh, postpartum depression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like. Because there's also like, there's kind of, I don't know, there's also kind of like urban uh, middle class anxiety right now in China. You know, people worry about the new generation men are not, you know, masculine enough because because all the, like right now, you know, if you look at all the idols, right, they they take their cue from K-pop, right, Mm -hmm. which means, you know, guys super, like all these, um, uh, like boy band looking very young uh or sometimes even androgynous looking guys with like who wear like like makeup and and you know like um i don't know i, I mean like like it's it's like a like people worry i'm like i don't know that, but that's what just the eight far east asian women are going for nowadays i mean it's go with a market that that's that's just uh, what the masses are demanding. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say, but there there are some people who 
who were apparently some pundits who worry about such things, they, you know, <laughs> articles. Uh, but but in general, I think there's also a kind of shift in the West as well, right? I mean, like now the women don't need, they don't depend on the men as much for, mm. as for like a meal ticket, right? Now now women are making their own money. They're they're uh, more in charge with their own life, and then and then you know you have all these. Uh, that you have all these uh, incels, right? <laughs> that we keep on hearing about. Wow. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a it's a global phenomena. It's a global phenomena. Yeah, I think I think the goal over here more is to just sort of make generals go away more. Well, depending on who you are, right? Like, there's yeah. a whole lot of right wing people around who are like, yeah. gotta keep it the same. Oh. You know, uh, oh, you guys, because you guys haven't seen Steve Chow's uh, Journey to the West Conquering Demon movie yet. Because I was going to say that that trope about the female tomboyish uh, female demon hunter, that was, that totally reminded me of the Stephen Chow movie, uh, Journey to the West Conquering Demon. Because that, in that movie, one of the protagonists was, you know, a girl, literally a girl demon hunter who also is also a tomboy. And in, also in that movie, the, the girl was a guy. Well, the girl is the one that's <laughs> pursuing the guy, right? Whereas the guy, the guy was playing kind of the coquish, coquettish one. And yeah, yeah. So, so there's a general theme here. <laughs> so maybe I want to come back to the sort of a politics, I think, that existed in the movie in, the, in Monster Hunt. I, you know, the movie starts off with basically a regime change kind of, you know, agenda, right? I mean, this isn't, this isn't false, but it's very conservative almost, right? Where you go from one monarchy to another monarchy, and at least that's the goal of the, uh... The better monarchy. Right, right, right. Uh, well, when I watched that movie, that portion of the movie, what it reminded me of is Lion King, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. wow. I thought that was just like came straight out of the Lion King, you know, like a, a like a new old king got overthrown and 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 the young fugitive prince, you know, like is seeking shelter. And so I was kind of expecting that along that kind of line. I'm like, oh, okay, he's the, the, the of course the new monster prince is gonna, you know, probably find some friends among the human world. Now he's gonna he's probably gonna return. Um, like strong and take back what's rightfully his, but uh, it didn't turn out that way. So, but it, but that that's what the vibe I was getting, the Lion King vibe. Well, he doesn't even grow up in the second movie at all. He's basically yeah. the same old Wuba. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think maybe maybe it's intentional. Maybe they want to <laughs> like keep on making sequels. I don't know. I don't know how how long they want to milk this enterprise. Well, or, do you guys know the box office number? I mean, are these two films huge in China? They're or huge. They're yeah, they're massive, in the they're yeah. sixth and seventh, I believe. I think, Andrew, you were talking about this. I think there are two current like sequels already in the works. They're there's currently another, in production. Yeah. yeah, there's another spinoff. There is like a TV series. I think that's going. A, an animated TV series supposedly yeah. is in the works. Roller coaster rides based on the show on on the movie. Uh, I I don't get it. <laughs> I think I, I enjoyed it. I, I watched the first one. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a cute movie, but like, <laughs> it's not like it's something I would watch on Netflix, which it is on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the first one's on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, 
and uh, I don't know if I would even spend, you know, 10, 15 bucks to watch in the theater. Uh, and, and after watching, I'm like more than halfway through the second movie because I'm like, like an hour, 15 minutes into an hour, 15 minutes movie. And at this point, I'm like, I can just see the sequel is going to be the same movie, like over and over and over. I mean... I mean, it's fine if you just want some mindless entertainment, like if you're bored, you, you know, have nothing better to, to do. Uh, it's fine. Because I, before watching that movie, I just watched an uh, old 1984 movie about Sino-Vietnamese War. And it was really depressing at the end. So I kind of needed the laugh <laughs> for, for Monster Hunter. So it did have its moments, like the gynecologist... Uh, uh, a visit, but actually, for me, the most funniest part so far is um, is a circus scene. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, giving him permission to go harder yeah. and face yeah. barely coming out alive of that scene. We should probably give a little bit of context yeah. because people, yeah, yeah, don't know. Yeah, so uh, so to the gambler that uh, Wuba's with, he's like running away from people who have recognized him and want to collect debts. <laughs> And so I think he hides in like a performing circus dressed as a lion. Costume, yeah. And he gets sort of pushed out as a magician's assistant <laughs> to do these dangerous acts uh, that he's never done before. <laughs> you know. It turns out the guy that was going to do it to him has never done it either. <laughs> Keeps calling him bro, yeah. reassuring him. <laughs> yeah. And for me, that was like the funniest part. I mean, I, it's. At that point, I realized, okay, what's what's going on here? Because now suddenly, this guy, this new guy that just introduced to the second movie, he's kind of like stealing the show here. Like it's mm, the yeah. movie is more about him now with Wuba rather than like the the kind of the Wuba's adoptive parents who were more the center of the first movie, mm. right? Uh, but then again, they're still going. That kind of the subplot with the with the um, the two parents trying to you know they're trying to find Uba and they're hang out in that monster hunting bureau and I just felt like that that almost became like a side plot yeah for me. yeah so so I'm like what well, where are they going with it? that's when I I kind of stopped um, <laughs> started the show let me ask you let me turn it around what did you guys thought about the movie the first one and the second one. Uh, I I thought that the first one was like a real slog, but like I was like, oh my god, there's gonna be so many things to talk about. I agree. I, at many times in the first movie, I really just was dreading how long I had left in it. <laughs> but at the end, I realized that there was a lot of things we could talk about on the show for that. Yeah. Which I didn't feel the same way about the second one, which was maybe an easier watch, but a too easy a watch. Yeah. I'm usually I'm so much more generous than you always. <laughs> I, no, I was feeling like it's a it's a movie for kids, and I feel like in that department it does a good job. I mean, it's it's cute, it's fun, uh, it has some sweet messages. It's a little like it's a little dark <laughs> in some places, yeah. like when you're fighting in the basement of this restaurant where the like corpses of the other villagers are just hanging overhead. I was just like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Uh. I mean, that's where I thought, well, like, well, how, 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 how old the kids are we talking about here? Are they like six or are they like 13? I mean, like, 
uh, you know, if I'm like a nine-year-old, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I guess one of the reason, um, I, I'm just guessing here now, uh, I'm guessing one of the reason you, it might be so successful in China is because, uh, you know, the Chinese audience are kind of hungering after, you know, they love Hollywood, right? They love Hollywood movies, but they kind of want, um, like, all the, you know, all the... Hollywood with Chinese characteristics. Yes, exactly. Hollywood style movie, but with Chinese characteristics. They want to tell like a tell a Chinese story in like a very Chinese setting, right? Like both of these films that take place in some kind of far off fantasy land, but it's recognizably like some kind of ancient Chinese setting, right? Mm. Um, Yeah. And, and I think that's what what people want to see. And you use this all the like three D, you know, CGI stuff that you you know kind of people are familiar with from, uh, you know, Disney, Pixar, and but 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 it's Chinese. Yeah, I mean the the guys who made this came over from uh, DreamWorks, uh, where they'd been working like since the start of it. Yeah. yeah. Carl. Here's Guillermo Cretos, production designer of Monster Hunt 2 and the art director of Shrek and Ants. He was a great guest. Here's our conversation. Was animation, was that your first love? Was that what you originally wanted to get into when you first got into production design? Well, yes and no. So I, I always drew. Um, I don't remember not drawing, actually. So I started very, very young, and I never stopped. But I'm French, so and I arrived in the, in the U.S. at 33. So now it's a long time ago. I'm 55. I'm not making any mysteries of it. Uh, but, <laughs> so no, I, I always drew, and I always wanted to see my drawing move. Um, mm. So mm-hmm. in a way, yes. But then I wanted to be a paleontologist. Uh, I was fascinated by biology. I studied philosophy a little bit. Um, I went to an industrial design school in France and a fine arts school in France. And actually, the combination of fine arts and, and industrial design is quite a good preparation for, uh, for designing specifically for CG films. Uh, but almost mm. everything is CG now anyway. So even in the in the most low-budget uh, live-action film, you have special effects all over that you don't necessarily see, you know, erasing signs, erasing panels, erasing wires, all of that stuff. So now the, the frontier between CG and live-action has considerably, considerably erased since the beginning of, of computer-generated images. Some of our audience might not be super familiar with the work of uh, production designers, and especially in animation. Could you describe what you do? It's a bit different production designer in animation and in live action. Basically, a production designer is the the head of, of the design of a film, which means everything that's visual is his responsibility. So it goes from... Uh, in pre-production, um, you get a script and uh, you have to figure out uh, what the movie is going to look like. In animation, you, uh, you have to design the characters because those, those are not actors. Uh, you have to design the sets and very often there is a specific style to the film, a graphic style, so you have to define that. 
So to do that, you have a second in command, which is your, your you know, partner in crime, which is the art director. Uh, and then you have an art department, which can be from, you know, can go from four people to 20 people uh, who are all concept artists and are working with you to define the style of the film. Um, so an animated film in general has about... 30 sequences. In each sequence, there is a few shots that we select in pre-production to actually do paintings of so that when we get into CG, we can uh, uh, give some references to the lighters. So in pre-production, basically you prepare everything about the film, the style, the look, the look and feel of the film in general, as well as the detail of the character design and, and costumes and, um, and all the sets. And by the end of that period, you'd better know where you're going because suddenly the team goes from, you know, about 30 people working together. Then you're going to production. And that, that suddenly is a team of, you know, 200, 300 people, uh, depending on the film. So suddenly the team becomes a lot bigger. And the job of the production designer changes also. Uh, because what we do is actually direct uh, modeling and lighting and special effects and surfacing, basically everything that is related to the image, um, uh, big or small, um, is your responsibility to, to work with everybody to make it uh, happen like you imagined it. We were looking a bit on your website and some of your portfolio stuff. You have these gorgeous uh, renderings of the films that you've worked on. And so we were just wondering, when you get to that point, when you get into production and you have these teams of 200, 300 people, all of them with specific jobs, where does your personal involvement on things sort of end? Well, the, the job, I have to say, in animation is extremely heavy because you literally speak to everyone every day. I mean, of course, not every day, 300 people, but, uh, but you have a production team that helps you spread that uh, and basically see people when they need your input. So mm. it's really like being a... Um, you know, first violin during the pre-production time where you actually paint and draw and sketch and, uh, and try to inspire that way. And in production, uh, you become a conductor. So you don't have the time to play the instrument yourself. You're literally uh, helping everybody play the instrument. So, and I, I have to say, I love this job because of it. You have to love people because otherwise it's a very difficult job. <laughs> Speaking of people you, I'm sure, and hope love, uh, could you tell us about how you met Raman Hui, the director of Monster Hunt? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so in 90, so in, in, yeah, in 95, I published a book in, in France, which randomly the subject was about ants. And that book ended up in the hands of DreamWorks and the directors of ants and the producer of Ants, and, and Katzenberg saw it, and they decided to, to call me in Paris and have me um, start, you know, testing me on the design of what Ants could be. So I did that wow. for about six months. I sent FedEx packages because it was before Skype and podcast. <laughs> um, and so I sent a huge amount of paper to, to California, where I had never been. And then after six months, they asked me, well, do you want, you know, your, your, your designs have a, a strong influence on the movie. So we would be interested to have you come and meet with the directors and, and, and Jeffrey Katzenberg. 
And basically, DreamWorks was just starting. Uh, there was 80 people in the company at the time. And so I came and they put me in an office in Lancashire in Los Angeles. And there was two drawing tables in that room. One was me and the other one was Raman. Wow. And so our first order of business was the two of us to figure out the design of the characters for ants. So Raman is, is a, an extremely talented animator, uh, kind of insanely talented animator. <laughs> he draws super well. He's super smart. He's lovely. And so we got along really well. And, and we, and we you know, started designing characters for ants. So after that, I got hired and Roman was, uh, did actually, he was, the, I think, the head of animation on ants. And then we met again for Shrek, where uh, Roman became a director and I was the production designer of, of the film. So we have a very, very long history. Basically, when we work together, it, it's incredibly easy because we have short hands. We know we are friends. So it makes everything much simpler. Uh, you know, there is no pretending, there is no egos, and so it's it's quite it's quite lovely. And you you didn't work on the the first Monster Hunt, right? Yeah. So I was at DreamWorks still when Roman went back to Hong Kong after I don't know thirty years in at DreamWorks in LA and PDI, so in the Bay Area, because uh, mm-hmm. we also mm-hmm. were there to the two of us for a bit more than ten years. And at one point, Roman decided to go back to, to Hong Kong and wrote Monster Hunt and shot Monster Hunt. And then, you know, 20 years after my beginning at DreamWorks, my contract ended. And literally the day my contract ended, Roman said, um, you know, I, I, of course I had known um, um, of the success of the first one. Mm-hmm. And I, the day I left DreamWorks, Roman said, um, what did you say? You come with me, you do the second one with <laughs> me. Wow. So, you know, one, it's Roman. Two, uh, it's an hybrid live action uh, animation. And three, it's completely crazy. And (laughs) so, you know, it's really, and so it's, it's, it's wonderful because of it. The, the, The state of mind of those films are quite something. So that's how it happened. It very, very simply. Was it a challenge to jump into that hybrid? With the live action and the animation? Well, there is two parts to that answer. One, um, the life of an artist makes it that every new project is a challenge because it feels like you're starting from zero because every story is different. uh, So you have to reinvent something. You have to invent something for that particular film. Mm. So in that way, yes, it is a challenge. But the other part of that answer is that... It's mainly, to me, it was mainly very, very exciting because uh, suddenly it's an, it's an hyper-real film with, you know, crazy animals who have the ability to shapeshift and, uh, and make jokes. And I mean, it's, it was so uh, uh, crazy that it was, it was mainly very exciting. It was like designing a sci-fi film. So I, I just have a, a question just about taking over after... Uh, having somebody else having done the production design on the first one. So how did you, because having watched both, I saw a lot of the innovation that you brought to it. Like, for example, the first scene in the second one with the new monstered village, like that was beautiful. And I really like the character design of the new monsters that you introduced to it. I was just wondering how you decided what you wanted to keep from the aesthetic of the first one, what was necessary to carry on with that, and where you decided to add your own flair to it. 
So one, the monsters are mainly sketched by Roman himself because mm -hmm. he draws very well. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's his part. You know, he loves. To, he always did love do, doing that. So the, the 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 team was actually quite exploded everywhere. Uh, some uh, of the artists uh, I was working with were in Europe, on the East Coast. Uh, me being in LA, some were in LA with me. Some were in uh, uh, Beijing. Uh, at base effects, where the effects of the movies uh, were made. I mean, basically, the image of the film is made. And what we did for that film was... Uh, and so Roman, Roman drew the, 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 uh, the monsters himself. Mm -hmm. um, and he worked with the base effects uh, uh, artist on that there. On the aesthetic of the film, we went actually far more crazy than um, on the mm -hmm. sets, than what is in the film ultimately, which is you know, very often the case, because you have to go too far to come back. Yeah. Um, and in terms of design, that that episode of the film um, was for an animation production designer who deals with completely imaginary set. My job, I mean, I, it was defined by, uh, by Roman when we first spoke. He said, well, go ahead and, um, and imagine the civilization of the monsters. And so that's what that's what we did. Uh, uh, trying to imagine the habitat, and you know, we did a bunch of stuff. As I know, Roman is working on the third one, so so there is still some some sets that uh, he can draw on for the for the next film. Did you have to do research on Chinese culture to incorporate that into the world of the film? I did. I actually, I actually, yeah. That that was that was kind of uh, um, you know. Um, uh, Roman is from Hong Kong, so um, you know I don't have much to teach him about Chinese <laughs> culture. <laughs> Me being French and all, but at one point I was, you know, kind of scouting locations in China, and I came across that extraordinary landscape of really spiky rocks, which is in central China, and and Roman didn't know about it, and they actually went to shoot there ultimately. So that was funny. I, I, I taught him one thing. <laughs> but, uh, but I was surprised. <laughs> one of the most fun parts of the film for me were all of Gambler 2's tricks. Um, can you talk about the sort of conception behind those? Like, for instance, the, the wall that he throws up and... Is very oh, that is that is entirely Roman. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he he really went for it, and I think the the second one is actually even crazier than the first one. Yeah. Uh, you know, with all the 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 pregnant monsters uh, uh, <laughs> battling with their bellies. I mean, this is something you know out of this world, really. You know, complete craziness. But that's wonderful, though. I mean, it's it's wonderful to to. To see him really be able to do what he wants to do, and that is really impressive. And he, I think he's so so happy he went back to Hong Kong, and, and it's you know, and it's working out um, uh, stunningly well. So here you go. <laughs> do you see any more involvement uh, for yourself and him in the future uh, as this franchise continues to expand? Because I know that they're working on a lot of different things for Monster Hunt now. Yeah, well, I don't know. I just finished the design of the film literally a week ago. <laughs> so, so maybe, 
Maybe, you know, I, I know that we, we, we talked about working on some stuff in the middle of last year, but I was in the middle of designing a movie, so I couldn't. But now I can again, so we don't know. What is it like working in a world where the sources of filmmaking, like in the U.S. and China, are so dispersed? Is there anything exciting about these changes in the cinematic world? There's a lot to say about that subject, because it is changing the world of movie making and you know and tv making and uh, and game making all of that is is now really at, at an apex i think all it's almost scary because it feels like there could be a bubble at one point but at the same time what happened in the 90s with the uh, advent of the you know the digital world is that uh, there is a necessity for image-creating professionals. And that has been going up and up and up and up over the past, over the past you know, 25 years. And it's really impressive. Uh, you know, when I got here in 96, ENS was the second CG film, computer-generated images film, um, uh, on the market after Toy Story. So... You had, at the time, literally two studios in the world able to do this. I mean, and we fast forward 23 years from there, and now we have basically visual imagination in almost everything. The frontier between live action and animation is more and more blurred. Um, you see, um, you know, the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, the, the latest one. This is an animated film, yes, but not really. You know, how different is it from uh, from the Marvel movies, where mm -hmm. the first sequence is entirely CG? So all of that world, not only the frontier is blurring, uh, but the market is expanding because, of course, you know, buying a computer and starting to make CG images, the the, 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 the power of the computers now and the power of the software, the fact that uh, the software takes care of a lot of uh, what was um, only 10 years ago, very heavy uh, R&D on the studio part. Now uh, you can you know, download software packages that allow you to make professional quality images in CG. So, you know, this is really, and now you have VR, you have one of my friends, Goro Fujita, is at uh, Facebook, Oculus, developing a software called Quill, which allows you to, in VR, paint, sculpt, uh, and animate uh, in VR anything you want, and extremely fast. So mm -hmm. all of that is completely shifting both the tools and, uh, and the easiness of making images happen but the demand is also huge. You know, Netflix, best revenue of the year last year in, in 2018, beating records. Almost everybody I know from DreamWorks is now at Netflix or at Sony Animation. So Sony Animation, Sony Animation is producing a lot. Uh, the international markets, you have animation studios popping up in France because of tax incentives. The same way Vancouver is a place uh, where movies are made right now because of those exact same Canadian tax incentives. Friends did the same thing two years ago, and it's also completely changing the market there. You have all the Asian studios, and there are a lot also that are really becoming very strong contenders. In LA, you have a bunch of studios also you know, going from extremely sophisticated live-action effects to stop-motion, 
So almost, you know, anybody now can make CG the same way almost anybody can make a film. We have literally a, a film studio in our pockets with our cell phones, which doesn't mean that a lot of people do it because as soon as you start doing it, you realize how difficult it is to make a good film. But still, the possibilities are there now. And there is one thing I tell, you know, I'm, I'm also chair at OutCenter uh, in Pasadena. Mm -hmm of the entertainment mm -hmm. design department. And when the one thing I tell my students is, um, it's to do, make. Uh, and because it's only by making that you, uh, you know, joyfully make mistakes and get better at it. So, but now the, the, the ability to make is, is extraordinary. You know, when I was a teenager, there was no internet, no cell phones. It was the very beginning of computers where you could not even communicate with anybody because there was no internet. You could just program stuff. And that was arduous and not fun. And now anybody can grab his cell phone and make a film. It's extraordinary. Yeah. I think for the three of us, I mean, we all grew up with these CGI animated movies. It's so hard for us to wrap our heads around how new the technology really is and how rapidly it's been developing. It's exploding, yeah. 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 It's, it's extremely fast, extremely fast. And, and it's accelerating. So, yeah, now one of the things I'm looking at and I see so, some of my friends doing is actually in the very beginning of the design of a film, going from uh, a painting of a set to a very rough model of that set, but textured. And you can, you know, put your goggles on and take your director inside the set he's going to play with. That's, that's so, crazy. And, and at DreamWorks, we, had, we, we built a room to be able to do that about 10 years ago. It cost a fortune. Mm -hmm. The image was black and white. The CG was so basic that, <laughs> that the director could you know, make very basic decisions about the way he was going to film the set. Now, any one of my students who has a, a, a Vive or, or uh, an Oculus Rift Mm -hmm. uh, can do that in his bedroom. It's just, it just, it's unbelievable. One thing that I find really interesting about your films is, even though they're made with all this incredibly advanced technology, is that a lot of them focus on very pastoral, very green worlds. And I think of ants with the separation between the ant world and the urban human world. Shrek, obviously, with the um, huge, old-fashioned, medieval green world that he lives in, and Monster Hunt too, which is full of a much older green world that you see a lot less of now in China with their industrialization. Mm -hmm. Is there anything about that sort of green world that speaks to you in particular? I do love nature and I do love light. You know, one of my big passion when I'm making a film is working with the lighters to do the direction of photography of the film in, in effect, which in live action, you would have a director of photography on an animated film most of them, some of them have a director of photography like in live action, but on all the films I worked on, uh, I did the direction of photography because it's because I love it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's extraordinary because you, you go from your painting, which is, you know, even if you make a nice painting, uh, it's still a painting, meaning you can't move through it. You can't, uh, you know, you can't, you can't, it's basically one, one of the, one of the thrills of making those films is, you start with a little sketch and then a little painting. And then for the first time, you sit in a dark room uh, with the modelers and the lighters and boom, the set does exist and you can move the camera in. And then you can change the light settings completely 
direction, temperature, in order to, you know, enhance the story again. And that, I have to say, it, it gives me chills every time I see a set that we drew in the art department come to life on the screen. It's just unbelievable. Well, I think that's it for the Monster Hunt episode. Thanks again to Carl Jean and Guillaume Retos. Follow us on Twitter at China Film Pod, like the Uproar in the Studio Facebook page, and maybe even Venmo us at Reza-Said. And put Uproar in your description. Every penny counts in this quest to find Jackie Chan. And if you feel like it, have some thoughts or suggestions, email us at Uproar in the Studio, all in one word, at gmail.com. Our original music comes from Elliot Saltmarsh and Yehuda of Fist with a PH, and our art comes courtesy of Jake Astro. In two weeks, we'll be talking about Hello, Mr. Billionaire. But before we leave you this week, we just want to share some wisdom from the chair. To read too many books is harmful. We'll see you in two weeks.